Hello, everyone. It's Deb from Deb's Data Dojo, part of the Calling All Beings podcast network. Today, I'm here with Tony Sabellia. He is an author, personal trainer, and a scientific remote viewing instructor. He participated in courses at the Farsight Institute and Monroe Institute on out-of-body experiences and scientific remote viewing. He has an interest in expanded consciousness, NDEs, science fiction, Area 51, Roswell, the history of the SRI remote viewing program, and much more. His book, Ambassador to the Stars, is about possible not-of-this-earth intelligences and the implications of their discovery. Welcome, Tony. Thank you for having me on, Deb. I appreciate you. I know that I did quite a bit in that intro, but did you want to fill in a little bit on your background that I might have missed? Um, well, not really on you know the the points of it. I mean, maybe I, I can go over a little bit of how it got to the explorations and the classes chosen, and um, you know the the path uh, that uh, I'm on, so to speak. Yep, that is actually one of my questions, is um, what brought you into remote viewing? Well, that started, um, you know, more with the interest in discovering what I call not of this earth intelligences. Um, everything that I will go over is obviously in my humble opinion. So um, pretty much when I was about seven, I was seven years old and something strange uh, happened to me, I was going to sleep for a night to go to school the next morning and i remember closing my eyes and it was about three maybe five seconds if that and then i opened them and my mother came into the room and said um you know what uh it's time you know it's time to go to school and i kind of ignored it and she said come on you're going to be late and i said i just closed my eyes you know and like you know let me sleep type of deal and she said, no, you're going you're gonna to be late. And she said, crack the curtains. She cracked the curtains a bit. And I remember noticing it was definitely a bit different than what I thought it was just five seconds ago. And I thought to myself, well, how, you know, how can that be? I told her I just closed my eyes. And she said, well, you had a good night's sleep. And I remember thinking to myself, I've had a lot of good night's sleep, but I don't remember anything quite like this before. And that kind of definitely stood with me for, you know, till now. My understanding and what I think we understand as time is definitely not all how we think it is. There has to be something more going on with time. And I felt that was, you know, you know, my awakening uh, to it. After that, I, um, you know, the next thing that came along was something in junior high school. I had this independent reading class, Deb, and um, I chose the book to read and give a report to the uh, instructor, the teacher. It was Chariots of the Gods by Eric Von Donneken. And of course, a lot of your um, listeners and people who follow you know well, quite well about that book. And um, I remember reading it and taking a few notes. I could use a few index cards. And when I went to give my report to the teacher, uh, he could feel my enthusiasm. And I, you know, I asked him, you know, point blank, why is it that more people don't know about this? And he really didn't give an answer that, you know, he felt it was real or not real. And then I answered, you know, asked a few more questions and. I remember not really using the index cards and he kind of leaned towards me and he was just, you know, listening pretty intently. And um, I had all these thoughts about it. I thought, you know, this is so important. Um, you know, the author is saying, you know, this location, that location, all these archaeological finds and these geological locations, et cetera, et cetera. 
And I, you know, thought that it was very possible when I, you know, as I thought about it, you know, thinking about the amount of planets and stars and all that type of thing, that something else had been going on in our, in our history. And that pretty much kept that at bay for a while. And then it wasn't until I started my working career that um, I was in the fitness industry and I was uh, a personal trainer as well. And somebody gave me a gift, and it was the book uh, Embraced by the Light by the author Betty Eady. And I remember distinctly one particular chapter really clung to me. It was the chapter of, she said, Many Worlds, in which she had this near-death experience, and that a spirit guide of hers took her and whisked her away to some different worlds, and one of the particular worlds that she was at, um, talked about how they traveled through different planets and they introduced themselves and introduced different things, everything from um, structural um, build out to agriculture, et cetera, et cetera. And then right away that, you know, hit on my memory of the old Chariots of the God book. And I thought, well, there's a you know, correlation there because I never you know, forgot about reading that book. And then things went on and I um, next thing I knew is... Um, in the 90s, um, I always had an interest in some sci-fi, but the, the TV show um, on Fox, the network Alien Autopsy, Fact or Fiction, uh, narrated by Jonathan Franks of Star Trek, was on, and they showed it a couple few times. And I remember watching it and thinking to myself, well, I don't know if this autopsy is real or not, but I remember listening to witnesses and different people like um, Jesse Marcel Jr. and Frankie Rowe and... Uh, Walter Hout, etc. And I thought they were all being quite sincere because I kind of pride myself on being able to see through people if they're actually, you know, maybe exaggerating, lying, etc. And again, I don't know if the autopsy was real or not, but the people that were being interviewed were very authentic. And I, I will say I have researched this a little bit. And since it was put out, the TV show production or whatever, the people involved said that this itself was not, but it was based on one that they had seen that was. That's what oh, I, I recall them saying. I, I would agree with that. Yep, the Santilli footage and all that, I understand. Yep. And then I started getting uh, interested in, you know, reading about the Roswell incident because the, the autopsy was based on the Roswell incident and Jesse Marcel Jr. and the stuff he had seen that his father had brought home and how they tried to tear it and bend it and break it and drill through it and fire and it couldn't penetrate anything, etc. So then I started my own, you know, trips, actually. I went to places like um, Area 51, Boom Lake, uh, you know, S4, whatever you want to call it, and went out to the black mailbox, which was actually a white mailbox at that time, and, uh, you know, talked to some different people. And what I had seen that night was something that was pretty incredible. Um, I had seen two different things, a ray of light coming down from above into the, you know, right into the area. It was like a a yellow beam of light and I did take a picture of it obviously this is um, not you know this is all audio but I did take a picture of it and it had an impact on me and it wasn't you know even the picture didn't do it just but it was definitely real and then the next thing I knew after that is that we were watching what was called war games they were zooming jets zooming overhead with all kinds of you know uh, smokes clouds of smoke and etc and then I happened to notice off to the side that there was a small flickering light that was just glimmering. And then all of a sudden it started appearing and disappearing miles away from each time it would appear and disappear. It was like less than a blink of an eye. And it was the same little light going back and forth. And, and my gut told me at that time, it looks like somebody's 
testing, you know, a back engineered technology or something, you know, that can do a bend space time type of thing going back and forth. And I remember it was moving so fast at some times that um, my eyes started watering, you know, in conjunction with what was going on overhead. It was almost like the war games were like keeping people's attention because there were multiple jets flying around. And while they were testing this particular craft of whatever origin it was or back engineered, etc., is what I felt in my gut that it was. And from there, I had trips to, you know, Sedona, Arizona, and um, worked with an Indian guy that had his own UFO experience that he was kind enough to share with me. And then I went out to Roswell, New Mexico in the summer of 2000, and I was uh, fortunate enough to meet face-to-face -face at the Roswell Museum, Mr. Walter Hout. Uh, Walter was the PIO, Public Information Officer, and he was the one that actually wrote up the article, the Roswell Army Airfield Captures a Flying Saucer on the Ranch in the Roswell region. And he always said he had seen the parts, you know, the, from the craft, but he told me at the time he had also seen the bodies. And I'm like saying to myself, well, you know, is he getting old and he's just making this story up for attention because he never had said this before. But he told me about it and I felt he was sincere. And then years later on his deathbed, he revealed you know, to, to the world that he had seen the bodies and through his daughter also some different things were written and she yeah, I think came that out. He created an affidavit. Yeah. I, I believe that not only if I uh, posted that for people before, but I will either have it on the UFO connector or already have. But yeah, he did a signed affidavit. Right. Right. Yeah, I felt he was sincere when he was telling me about it because he knew I was very interested and he could just tell by the questions and my um, interest in going to the museum and looking at different things and looking things up, etc. And, and the knowledge I had at the time. And I had talked to also some other people that were present at that time of the crash, you know, alleged crash in 47 that have never been interviewed on TV or radio or anything like that. And they had a similar story, and, uh, and it just seemed to all fit that something went on. And I was one of those people that I vested that thing so deeply. I mean, was it time travelers from our future? Was it extraterrestrials? Was it you know advanced technology from you know the the, the German Nazi organizations from you know South America? Was it uh, our past you know uh, ancestors from Mars that sent out their you know, their subordinates, so to speak, to come here and collect things, you know, and why did it crash? You know, there's many different answers to that question. The only answer I could give, you know, is that something probably, in my opinion, definitely happened and obviously it was covered up. So, but that was what I really invested, invested a lot of time in is that incident. And then I, from there, read a lot more different books, met, went to many different UFO conferences, met many military people. Um, I was fortunate enough to uh, meet, converse with uh, Command Sergeant uh, Robert Odeen and Wendell Stevens, Lieutenant Colonel Wendell Stevens, and they spoke to me, you know, off the record about some things that they felt what was going on. And, you know, I was thankful for that. And I went probably to 15 to 20 conferences between the years 1996 and 2010 to listen to different people lecture, talk to everybody from scientists to UFO contactees to abductees alleged, um, military people, et cetera, et cetera. I did my own presentation with Jim Mars at one of them uh, on some work I did with a remote viewing group. Um, and that's, you know, the remote viewing actually came into my life because 
at the time, um, I had seen a documentary on the History Channel. And um, it wasn't actually, it was on the Nightline TV show first. And then after that, I saw the one on the History Channel. And um, then I went out to get James Schnabel's book. And like you said, you probably, a lot of your listeners are pretty familiar with it. The history is, it goes back to Stanford Research Institute, Hal Putoff, Russell Targ. They brought over the um, renowned psychic Ingo Swan from the East Coast out of New York. Swan was a um, gifted psychic. He was also an artist. He came out to the West Coast and worked at SRI with um, Putoff and Targ and Russell, uh, Charles Tart, a psychologist, I believe, and a couple other people. And they created this um, process that went from the subconscious mind to the conscious mind to pen to paper, and they produced psychic-like results, and they called this remote viewing. And to go over briefly, you know, the military got involved because SRI, Stanford Research Institute, was a think tank for various corporations, including the military, and the intelligence community got wind that this was going on. So they approached the group out of SRI and they said, you know what, we've had an interest in this. We've dabbled a bit ourselves in it. And, you know, they wanted to know if the group out of SRI would like to take it to the next level. So they asked me if you would like an exploratory grant for quite a bit of money at that time. And they said, yes, they would. So they gave them that grant. They brought in several other scientists. Um, and then they brought in quite a few other so-called psychics. And within a few short months, the remote viewing procedures were tweaked. And once again, the military was interested in the results, and they said, you know, do you think you could teach some of our people how to do this? And Stanford Research Institute and the group was all for that. So they sent out a group of people, and between Stanford Research Institute on the East Coast and Fort Meade, Maryland on the, I mean, that was on the West Coast, Stanford, and, and the East Coast was Fort Meade, Maryland, they went back and forth and had Many people come in and out of this program, but it began with six people, um, and they were quite successful with some of the things they did, and they created this group, um, and they called, you know, they were basically like psychic spies, and they were called many different names, Project Real Flame, Stargate, Center Lane. Um, the year right. Spies was born, and quite a bit of money was spent, it lasted for 22, 23 years, and then that's when I saw the on the uh, Nightline TV show that uh, that, um, that that was real, and then a, you know a month later or so I saw the the History Channel, the repeat of the Real X Files, and that was 1993. It originally came out, but I saw it after that, which coincidentally Dub was the same year the X Files did come out on TV. So I thought that was interesting. And I found a lot of coincidences like that. Very few people know that in 1947, when the Roswell crash happened. July, it was one year later that Warner Brothers introduced Marvin the Martian on the big screen. And so yeah. a lot of things like that from the Great Gazoo and the Flintstones. And I discovered in the process of all my interviews and stuff that there is some type of slow indoctrination process that's going on and the media is a big part of it. And that each subsequent generation is hopefully going to be more open to the possibility of the extraterrestrial, uh, not of this Earth intelligence idea. And this has been going on since the 50s, but not without, you know, um, how should we say, challenges. There's groups, there's powerful groups that really don't want this information out. And there's another group that wants the information out, but feels it has to come out at a slow pace because you cannot go from something this astounding that it does not exist one night to it does exist the next night. There's got to be that indoctrinating process over the course of generations that maybe, maybe it exists. 
And as time has gone on, from the 50 movies to the 60s, and you know everything from Twilight Zone to Outer Limits to Star Trek, and then into the 70s and Close Encounters and E.T. and Stargate and X-Files, I mean, you name it, it's all going on. The cartoons are all part of it. And of course, there's money involved with it as well. But, you know, there is a process, I believe, in my humble opinion, that's unfolding as we are here now. All the way to the idea, you know, from Project Blue Book to the UAPs that are going out. That was things released by the Navy that may or may not have been extraterrestrial. Even so, it still gets the populace like the, uh, I would say, like the autopsy video you talked about before. Even if that's not real or if that's high tech, you know, from one group not knowing what another group has. It's still an idea of UFOs. It still gets people to open up and it's a safe way to do it. And in my opinion, probably before long, we're going to come up with some type of archaeological find that will not be an immediate threat to what we know and understand, because that's not saying they're here now, but that there was and maybe there is. And it's a little bit more definitive uh, in its approach of saying yes to the world. This is a reality. Well, I do think the NASA programs have been uh, looking at how to present to people that extraterrestrials are alive because they do believe they're somewhere, and that's what they're telling people. I think they know more than that, of course, but they are telling people somewhere in the universe, mathematically speaking, we definitely have other civilizations. They have definitely existed. The math is just too vast. It would take a tremendous amount of ego on our part to believe otherwise. We have like, a lot of that. I know. That's I think, a, a mistake. Fear. Yeah, I think that is a big mistake. So they've spent money, of course, um, investigating how to relay this to the public, how to have that exactly. conversation, um, how if they discover something, they should convey this. And they've done it from not only a psychology and sociological perspective, but the perspective of how that might impact religion, right. which, you know, doesn't seem like a typical conversation, you know, necessarily <laughs> for the government to be having. But you know, it's, it's a very important part of the process, though. I mean, I think it was, um, you know, what was the group that did the study in the early 60s and felt that, you know, it would be a little bit too tragic to come out with this uh, information right now. Um, so many, so many MK Ultra, <laughs> you know, so many things. Yeah, that they, that's more the mind control. Thing I know there, there's been so many that they have done um, and so many things that they know about that the American public may not know about that they felt we needed to be protected from, you know, and it's just you find out about them later you know like for instance there was an individual who if you read the cia foyas was telling the public that um the united states had been working on a flying saucer and everyone said he was crazy and brushed him off but now just very quietly the astro car i'm sorry the avro car was put out to be seen and it was Probably what he was looking at. Uh, the, Isn't that the something to do with Canada too, or something? Yes, Canada and England, because the engineer was British. Um, yeah. And in the FOIAs, they call it the Canadian British American Project. You know, the U.S. Project. Right. Um, 
And that was what they were talking about. He saw them and he told people he saw them and no one believed him. And then just very quietly, it was just released to the public, right? <laughs> it was quietly said oh yeah by the way we really were making flying saucers right. and if and if you go look at the national archive videos they have video of the avrocar and another platform that they were building that you know essentially was supposed to be like a flying saucer um it was bulky and it was not very um graceful but it was something that they were trying to make of course. And I think it's been going on, that type of thing, an idea for a long, long right. time. Everything right. from, you know, the Germans in World War II. And if you really want to look at history, the visitations from the Vimanas and all, all those things that, that have taken place throughout history. I mean, I think we've been trying to replicate. I think there's some areas of, you know, um, Earth. Um, uh, companies, corporations that have gone well beyond what we can even imagine in terms of some of their developments. Um, we're not going to see that. And I'm very objective about this, Deb, too. I, I understand that there's a yin and yang to everything. I don't think we can give a society that has great potential, which I feel we do, the tools to uh, inherently self-destruct quicker. Um, these crafts, technologies use, in my opinion, energies that are not based on oil or gasoline or anything like that. And we have rules and regulations for things like gun laws. And if these type of technologies got out that are way beyond anything that most can comprehend and the danger, you know, we don't have, I would say, the level of consciousness yet as a society to basically have this all around us. And I, you know, I, I have said that before on different shows and it kind of pains me to say it but with said i know we have the potential to further and evolve ourselves and we will one day become what is called by some of the scientists a type two and hopefully a type three civilization where we merge with other um you know type of galactic uh groups that are going back and forth and monitoring other worlds that are evolving at whatever pace they're at, if they don't self-destruct. And if they do, perhaps they are reseeded. Um, I'm a firm believer in that we are part of a genetic project. And it doesn't mean, you know, because we talked earlier, I think the essence of who and what we are is of a God source uh, and omnipresent ever being energy. But the physicality of it in what we call a third dimension where we're at right now has been engineered by potentially what we would call not of this earth or i call not of this earth intelligences also working with people from the past and the future yeah so there's just a, a lot of possibilities about what could be going on and unfortunately i'm not sure when we'll get those answers i do agree that everything is being disclosed in a slow manner for the sake of society but I, I do think also we have to acknowledge just a numerous amount of witnesses and experiencers who, who have already seen and oh, have yeah. al already stated or already claimed to have had these encounters, just so many. And it was the Brookings Institute that I was referring to earlier in the 1960s, early 60s, that felt that something coming out too soon it would affect you know not only religion but uh, business institutions the way we think mm -hmm. our egos everything 
So, you know, it's, it's got to take its course. And I agree with that. You know, the beings that live a thousand years or 5,000 years, that's not very long. But for us that we live maybe 50, 100 years, you know, that type of thing, it seems too long. So there's a happy medium there. Um, but I think we've progressed. I mean, you know, the old adage in the movie, Men in Black, where Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith are sitting on the bench and Tommy Lee Jones says, 1,500 years ago, everybody knew the earth was the center of the universe. 500 years ago, everybody knew the earth was flat. And just 15 minutes ago, you knew you were alone on this planet. Imagine what you'll know tomorrow. And I think, you know, it's, it's come a long way, but it has a ways to go. But why not enjoy the ride along the way? And hopefully as a civilization, you know, we grow in consciousness and awareness and all of that type of idea. And in the meantime, there's always going to be pressure from others that don't want it that way. But that's the yin and yang. I've come to be very objective with it. And there's an old saying, I look at the book Conversations with God, you cannot even know or experience what you are in the absence of what you are not. So you have to ponder that type of a thought. And for any experience to be anything, there has to be uh, a measuring stick, a a comparison. So we have to have this rainbow. You know, there has to be orange to appreciate blue, white to appreciate brown. All of it, all of it, up, down, left, right, what we call good, what we call evil. Um, again, I just have gotten philosophical with it and it's the source playing itself out in many, many, many incarnations, uh, all getting to work and uh, experiencing and creating and recreating. That's why I think our innate essence dub is to create and to explore we love to create art we love to create music we love to create a garden procreate all these different things to explore to constantly explore that's it that's our innate essence our energy and that's because it's all connected to the divinity i mentioned before it's like a drop of blood well 500 years ago we couldn't really tell much from a drop of blood it was red and had oxygen etc but now it can ravel our whole DNA pretty much. Uh, you know, there's an incredible amount of information that can be taken from it. Well, maybe in a relative sense, our essence, our soul is kind of like that drop of blood to the source, to the universe, to infinity. Okay. Well, you know, there's a lot to digest there. <laughs> Just a lot. Digestive so, enzymes might help. Yeah. So, etc. Right. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start going through some questions that I had um, for you because um, there's quite a number of them. And my first question has to do specifically with why it is you think people connect remote viewing to the UAP, possibly extraterrestrial topic, or, you know, if you prefer interdimensional, you know, whatever hypothesis you want but why do yeah. you think you wrote viewing and uap end up in the same conversation so often to the point where many of the major players in the topic are also remote viewers right good question um it's something i've participated in firsthand the reason why i got involved as i mentioned earlier to your listeners in remote viewing is because of the idea of potential extraterrestrials or what i call not of this earth intelligence is visiting earth it was that, um, you know, the, uh, the TV shows that I'd seen. And then once I heard about the book by James Schnabel after he was on the History Channel, and then the History Channel talked about one of the viewers that were on there, the, the military used remote viewing, and they would come across, even in targets not related 
to anything looking for extraterrestrials, they would get these controlled lights, they'd call them UFOs, unidentified flying objects coming in and out of their sessions by multiple viewers. And that um, then prompted me to go and look for Schnabel's book, but then I came across the book Cosmic Voyage, which Professor Courtney Brown under the Farsight Institute teamed up with one of the ex-military remote viewers and they used the tool of remote viewing to look specifically at the idea of UFOs and potentially extraterrestrials visiting Earth. And I read that book and you know the conclusion was that not one group was coming here, but that several races have been coming here and for quite some time and their agendas varied. And then I, from there, after reading that and taking up Transcendental Meditation from Maharishi Vedic Schools, I went into learning remote viewing at the Farsight Institute. And I wanted to find out somehow, some way, I didn't know when about the potential, if I could sense anything with that. And I think what it is, is you develop a sixth sense. That's why I like teaching it. It, keep, it gets people to open up to another aspect of their being. I think we all have this faculty. It's like a muscle group. You have to exercise it, you know, in a somewhat regular basis to develop it. But um, that's why I think a lot of remote viewers have dabbled into the ID and area of extraterrestrials. I will say this, and the information is up at my website. I was handpicked to work with a group of roughly 10 or so uh, trained remote viewers that were trained for at least 10 years. This was in the year 2011. I think three of them were also ex, the ex-military remote viewers. We had a target. We, you know, we didn't know what it was. Where we were blind to the target. And basically what it was, was um, artificiality on Mars question mark. And there were pictures taken. It's all up on my website by a particular camera. Uh, I think from the Jet Propulsion Laboratory that looked like, you know, pyramidal structures and uh, a water hose and things like that. Again, when I was part of this project, which I felt, you know, glad and thankful that I was included in it, um, some of my work of that is there. I thought I was actually on the island of Hawaii because it was rocky terrain and there was water. Um, but there's no question what we viewed, not knowing what the target was, we all got close to the same bits and pieces of information from the two or three targets that we had, A, B, and C that somebody or someone is terraforming a part of Mars and there is some type of underground water system that is involved with it. You know, some type of the irrigation system that's being set up there. And again, we did this in 2011. Now, could that be in the future? I don't know, because the, the pictures, the images were taken, you know, previously, you know, by an actual physical camera and there's actual physical pictures. None of us knew what the targets were, but we all came up with the same type of information that there were some type of humans or humanoids working on uh, a rocky terrain. Some of it is underground. It was very laborious and that there was some type of an irrigated system that was being put in place. And what it turned out to be is those images from the particular camera from one of the crafts that were orbiting Mars. Now, if so, I recall correctly, you said Dr. Brown did a presentation about this. Yes, at the Society of Scientific Exploration in Colorado. We did, right. and I have that 13-minute video parts of the highlights up at my website as well. Right. So I actually ran into them separately. And if anyone takes a look, and I've mentioned this multiple times, um, they have quite the list of people in that society 
um, Hal Putoff, yes. Valet, people who were in MIDS, uh, people who were in TT, uh, TTSA eventually, you know, like the collection of people. Who's who, right? Yeah, it was, it was quite an interesting group. And I feel like um, when I hear about the Invisible College, I think of them immediately. I feel like right. that's who they are. And, Hynek, Alan Hynek. Right. Yeah. And they're not, not actually all that invisible. They've just right. been, you know, working amongst themselves, um, creating science related to what some people consider paranormal, you know, right. or fringe, you know. Yes. So that's that's what they're that's where they've been. <laughs> so yes. yep. not Building only there, so <laughs> I assure you, I'm going to keep finding all the places that they've been because I keep finding some interesting locations. You know, I, I got to give you know your listeners this. I was very impressed with this website that you've put together because mm -hmm. if anybody's do some extreme digging, it's it's been you, and you've got a lot of information and a lot of links there that have put so many things together. Mm -hmm. Yes, and I will have a, a more thorough list soon. I'm reading John Alexander right now, so John Alexander. Yep. Yep, it's given me a whole lot more information. Oh yeah. <laughs> so that, that's what throws me on a whole another path of finding more information. But okay, so I wanted to get back to um, your experiences with remote viewing. So when you joined the courses, not only did you do remote viewing, but you did out of body. And I guess one of my first questions related to that is a very basic question. And I have asked this to, of someone before, but not in the dojo. Can you please explain the difference between meditation, trance, out of body, and remote viewing? It may be all part of the tomato tomato type of thing. You know, all roads lead to you know the same type of um, goal. Um, I'm not sure. The end game is probably the main thing, and it's probably similar. Meditation, I think, is a deeper relax. This is my humble opinion, and I've trained in all three of them. Um, you know, using transcendental meditation for many years, and still do it every day. Um, is more of a relaxation, going to nowhere, no wind, no questions, no nothing, and maybe you have a mantra going on in the background, a total relaxation, and sometimes things will come to you. Remote viewing, in my opinion, is using um, your, almost like your mind as an antenna, and it's open to various bits and pieces of information that can come to you. Um, we always know what the targets are beforehand. It's just a matter of quieting your conscious mind and allowing your subconscious mind the ability to bring the information in, and then you're going to filter it with your conscious mind, and you take the pen and put it onto the paper, and there's ways to put it on the paper correctly, deducting for labels and guessing. There's an order to it, and it allows for information to come forward. Um, the Monroe Institute and the, the out-of-body experience, and I'll go over this briefly because I think people sometimes need a little bit of explanation with this. What they use is sound, and you wear these headphones, and you have two different noises going on simultaneously, something that the conscious mind can hear that's between five and 20,000 hertz, and something that only the subconscious mind can hear that's between 1,000 and 1,500 hertz. This is called the binarial beat. What that does is it allows um, the sound to come in and it creates like a cerebral-like wavelength inside your brain. 
that has this neurological effect that allows information from um, your theta brainwave state to be transferred to your beta brainwave state. Now, the brainwave states, you've got your delta, which you're asleep between, below four hertz. Then you have your theta, which is also called your hypnagogic state, which is below, which is between four and seven hertz. That's just before you fall asleep and just before you wake up. It's the most open you're going to be as far as research is concerned in terms of bringing in information from maybe another realm or astral plane or dimension. It's, it's, it's there, but it's not there. It's really brief. Then you have your alpha brainwave state between 8 and 13 hertz, which is your daydreaming state. And then you have between 14 and 32 hertz, your beta brainwave state, which is your waking, thinking, conscious mind state. Those binarial beats, again, create that cerebral wavelength that creates that neurological effect that allows information from the theta brainwave state to be transferred to the beta brainwave state. And then as that happens, you bring back the memories or the ideas. You write them down. Um, both the Monroe Institute and the Farsight Institute concentrate on bringing information from your five senses, taste, uh, taste sight, touch, sound, and smell, and recording them onto paper after like your sessions or during your sessions. And obviously this opens up that sixth sense as well. So the out-of-body experience is almost more like you're, a part of you is going outward as opposed to remote viewing where you're, you're like more like an antenna, in my, um, my humble opinion, bringing it inward. So some people call this the astral projection where they see their body sometimes. I've had out-of-body experiences. Um, I've had it also, honestly, Deb, where you're, there may be some astral projection where you can see some things around you and you know it's like almost like your physical body's there, but it's not your physical body. Um, but my largest out-of-body experiences are like when you're on one of those little playground tilt worlds where it swirls around and around it's like inside of my head is how i would explain it and then you just shoot up and you are moving so fast but you're not moving anywhere you know um how should we say spatially or spatially speaking you're you're just moving into another frequency of existence like a radio dial that's much much higher and in my opinion I have shut myself down, I'm not talking about astral projection, but I've shut myself down out of the safety reasons because the body and the mind and the heart, it just can't take that type of frequency. So it's kind of like you've got to shut down and basically fall asleep as a safety mechanism, kind of like a trade-off where you would go out and about in that aspect of your existence, which might be our essence that we talked about before, you know, the relative speaking, the drop of blood. Now we know a lot about it. This aspect of us might be like that when and if we get to the level of awareness and consciousness where we can kind of trace this back and ultimately find out we are all of one universal creative source energy. And this aspect can work as a network with other groups that are more like this awareness. And then the groups just get bigger and bigger till it's just one. Wow. So um, I wanted to jump back a little bit when you mentioned the, the beats, the um, yeah. Um, so sometimes when I meditate, I find that there is only one or two tracks that get me gets me to a deeper place. Um, and I feel like I want that when I'm doing it. Um, so I seek those tracks out. Other tracks I find actually can cause me to have a headache or sure. um, sometimes um, I have tried in the past these 
CDs that claim that they're going to like, ex like expand your memory or things like that. And that right. has also caused like a headache or something. Sure. Is there something that you recommend people like a link I, or. I a do think the Monroe Institute has certain CDs that are based on different frequencies. You know what, Deb, I've also been in the fitness industry for a long time. And what works for one person might not work for another. And I've also been in the nutrition industry for quite some time. What works for one person might not work for another. And I've also found this as I teach remote viewing. I don't do any teaching with out-of-body experience, even though I have experience with the classes, the tapes, two week-long sessions uh, at the Monroe Institute myself in Faber, Virginia, you know, a really super place to, to learn more about yourself and your highest state of being. Um, but you know, with remote viewing, it's like anything else. Like I just talked about nutrition and training. There's some things and methods and parts of it that work for some people and they don't work for another. So I think it's a lot of self-discovery, just like we're all unique in our genetic makeup. You know, what works, you know, what will work, nutrition, training, out-of-body experience, you know, keep notes, keep a notebook, uh, keep the time of the day, you know, what time of the day might be best, even, you know, moon levels or, you know, what's showing up. All those different things, how much you eat, you know, how soon after, how soon before. There's a lot of variables that, you know, and sometimes you just connect. You know, sometimes it's just your plain old connect. And it's your higher state of self that wants to do it. I think it's in a lot more of that particular part of our being as opposed to the mechanics of it. Or it's just as much with that part when it feels it wants to connect and give you the information. Or how do you quiet your mind? How do you know you're not having the experience? I mean, look at dreams, how fast we forget those unless we journal them. I think this is the same way, only much faster, because this is a higher state of being, higher dimension. Yeah, what's interesting about dreams is that scientists don't entirely understand everything related to them. They do suspect they have to do with the prefrontal cortex. They suspect that we have them to prepare ourselves for things. Um, but other than that, they, it's all speculation. So even something right. that we all experience is actually kind of fringe. <laughs> it is. It is. So like that drop of blood 500 years ago. Who right. So it's something, it? yeah, there's still, there's still a lot of questions. Um, so I actually recently spoke to Grant Cameron oh, yeah. and he has said that things that are remote viewed or dreamt or, meditated um all of those experiences can be just as real as any physical experience so he's saying essentially when we go to that other state of being um that's just as real as um our day-to-day -day breathing in and out and moving around and all of that I have to interject something here. One of the best ways to describe remote being, I think, and if I'm going by memory here, is with how Jacques Vallée described consciousness. I think he said, I propose to describe consciousness as the process by which informational associations are retrieved and traversed. The illusion of time-space is merely a side effect of consciousness as it traverses the associations. I think that explains a lot. We are multi-dimensional, multi-avenue you know, uh, areas that we exist in. And it's simultaneously, you know, people talk about past lives and future lives. In my opinion is I've gotten into the learning of remote viewing and the learning of the out-of-body experience. I think there's simultaneous existences 
But in this plane of existence, what we call the third dimension, it happens to be measured linear. But I think these things are always going on in the ever-present moment of what we call now. And that's how time travel is accessed or how remote viewing can be accessed by our consciousness. I'm not talking about technologically speaking time travel or portal speaking. I'm talking about as we evolve consciously and remember and become more aware of who and what we are, that is how we can perhaps do it. Yeah, there's like been some... say time is the fourth dimension. That's something that's kind of been adhered to for a long time. Right. So if I've had some other people say similar things that um, everything is existing right here, right now, in the same place. Um, that time is just a construct of, you know, obviously something. Biology we, of our body. Yep. Yes. Our some, yeah. Right. Um, it's interesting how often people come to this point, yeah. especially when you start in a different place often with the nuts and bolts part of yes. UAPs, and then you end up here. Great observation, Deb. Yep, that's why I said, you know, before our show, I said I had to get into the whole philosophical approach as I learned, or I should say remembered, more and more and became more aware of what's going on. Now, I'm not saying I know any more or any less than anybody else. I've just become more aware just through all the training. I mean, it's been, you know, 25 years mm -hmm. plus of looking into the whole UFO phenomena. I've been remote viewing since 1997, meditating before that, praying before that. I started the out-of-body experiences. I still listen to the Monroe Institute tapes. Somewhere, somewhere down, somewhere, somehow down the line, you've got to come up with some type of a, an idea of what you think is going on. And the only thing that makes any sense to me now is to become philosophical and that everything is of energy and there is an energy source and it plays itself out and we're all part of it. Yeah, and it's what's interesting is science is catching up to this in a very direct way now. Call it the metaphysical, yep. Right. Um, they all metaphysical will meet. Right. Um, so, you know, the concept of chi and the energy within us, um, there are scientific terms now. And I've talked to a few people about this in the past. Um, so they have biofield to address yeah. the energy Always. that we emit. Right. And then, of course, some people also say we emit thermal radiation, of course. Auras, magnetic resonance. Right. All so that. So yeah, it's almost like a semantics thing. It depends yes. on who you go That's to. Why you're gonna... tomato, tomato. When you right, say meditation, yeah. remote viewing, and the out-of-body experience, somewhere along the line, they just cross paths. I also interject this when I teach remote viewing and, and where I learned, and also the Monroe Institute with the out-of-body, etc. Always surround ourselves before any session with bright white light. You know, it's part of us. It surrounds us. It grounds us. It protects us. There's a whole thing that is gone through. So. In my opinion, there are also energies out there that can be what you would say um, uh, negative or looking for an opportunity to latch on, you know, that type mm -hmm. of thing. And I cause and say it's really negative. Some of it can be positive. Some of it can be aspects of self. But to describe it is very hard. But, you know, it's kind of like how a person would describe when you had a bacterial infection or a viral infection to somebody a thousand years ago or 500 years ago. Mm -hmm. There's no way to prove that or to look at that back then. You know, how do you measure something so microscopically small? Well, mm -hmm. this is kind of a similar approach, Deb, but I think, you know, in years to come, as we become a more advanced, evolved civilization, it would be like the movie Ghostbusters where they could go out and just zap that out of you. You know, if you have that energy in you that's holding you back or holding right. you down or trying to do whatever or it's implanted in you by who, who knows who, 
we'll become more aware of it, you know, and, and yeah. just as science fiction was for viral and bacterial infections 500,000 years ago, maybe the same time from now, maybe hopefully sooner, we'll understand that that aspect is out there as well. And there's some, mean, there are some people who work on this um, research of understanding what used to be just called the aura or even the soul, if that's, you know, how you think of it. Um, and they're doing research of how to heal the body by accessing that electromagnetic field that we have. Right. And they're using tuning forks. So that's, it's interesting. That's what, that's what they're yeah. using. And one woman who works on this said that she discovered that that she breaks tuning forks over time that the work actually damages them. They don't make the right sound anymore. So it's interesting. Mm. So um, you mentioned something that I wanted to get back to um, and something that we have kind of touched on the idea of consciousness as a physical thing, like with the biofield. Um, and I feel like in the, in a previous interview, you had talked a little bit about, um, that idea of it being a little bit like waves. And I, and I guess I wanted to ask if you think that there's a, a maybe a physical aspect that science just doesn't understand about consciousness I, I itself. Agree. I agree. I think quantum physics is opening up the door to so many things. People like Nassim Hyronine and Clue Irwin and Garrett Lucy and different people like that that have looked at the ideas of consciousness, awareness, and things like that. It's all there. I mean, you know, we used to look at it, you know, okay, you've got the macrocosm that's above, you've got planets, stars, potentially black holes, everything is circulating, rotating, it's all energy. And I think what is above is also below. I think there are entry points via what we might call photons, even electrons, etc., from a microcosmic standpoint that can go into another realm of existence. Um, the frequency aspect, and you know, it's all it's all energy. I mean, it, it's molecules that, that that are atoms put together, and atoms are put together by electrons, and the centers are protons and neutrons, and in there there's quarks and gluons and plasma, and then waves, and maybe it goes into something called E8, where it goes into the um, you know into another dimension, so to speak, like one pyramid tip on top of another pyramid tip that. I think it's all frequencies. It's it's because energy is always there. It's omnipresent. Nothing, you know, the first law of thermodynamics, I believe, is that all energy, you know, exists and it cannot be destroyed. It can only change form. And it just depends on how sophisticated we are science-wise. And I think quantum physics is going, obviously, into that area of super subatomic particles. You've got the Large Hadron Collider out of Geneva, Switzerland. And who knows what other technologies that are even beyond that are that are not you know, fully people fully aware of maybe past civilizations, ETs have left technologies here as well for certain groups to look at and work with and experiment with and every now and then they help out. So it's all energy and frequency. I think consciousness is more like what Jacques Vallée said, like I mentioned earlier, he proposed to describe consciousness as the process by which information or associations are retrieved and traversed. And the illusion of time, space, and merely side effects of consciousness as it traverses the associations, which is energy waves. Um, you know, as, as you gain further awareness and information with things like remote viewing, out-of-body experiences, and deep meditations. So have you looked into Gary Nolan's research as of late related to the part of the brain that has to do with intuition? 
Um, he has been talking a little bit about how that part, and I, I don't bother to try to say the name because I know one day I will get it right. I'm starting to get there, but I'm just so bad with names. I don't want to say it incorrectly, but he's spoken about how um, he's been looking at people who are on the spectrum and schizophrenics and people exposed to UAPs and how that part of the brain has been enlarged. Right. I'm, I'm a little familiar with it, but no way will I put my foot in my mouth and say or try to repeat anything he has said with it because I, I won't do it any just. So I will say I'm not versed enough to, to comment on it. Right. So I don't, I don't think he's rushing to say that UAPs cause this or anything like that, but there is sort of an implication and I'm hoping... I think they awaken it. Maybe. Yeah, there's an implication that people who have more of that uh, like part of the brain may be more intuitive on their own. Right. You know? I think it's stimulated somehow through some type of a frequency or energy. That's just my hypothesis of something like that. Right. There's so many possibilities. It's it's really endless to go um, look into it. It's really just so much fun, actually. I just have yes. to say it's fun. It's really fun. It's one of the greatest mysteries. One thing um, that I've also heard about is um, how we can sort of affect our own genes, sort of awaken latent genes and silence others based on our lifestyle and our choices and even sometimes maybe our own mental processes. I think they call it epigenics. Yeah. And and I wonder, you know, if perhaps the encounter somehow wakes up something else in the genes on I, not I just... So. I do. I do. I too think so. And it's just like when people remote view, they'll start noticing things like um, cognitive abilities increase. They'll notice intuitive abilities increase. Um, memory focus. Um, right. It's also um, synchronicities. You'll notice more synchronicities. And these things are already there. It's just that that training over time awakens them. But the UFO, I think, sighting, the UAP sighting or the USO sighting is more of a, um, a high, um, intense process that helps wake that up. And sometimes it may be for the better, and sometimes it may be where people can't handle it. You know, it's hard to say. I think I think the process, J. Allen Hynek um, talked about things like that. I look at the movie Close Encounters with the Richard Dreyfuss. They all had that image of the, the mountain type of thing. Everybody had that sighting and they knew they had to go to that devil's tower there at the end of the movie. And, um, you know, the, the... It has sometimes crossed my mind that we have been communicated with um, and we have these antennas that are biological, not just, right. you know, not just uh, invisible forces or whatever, something in our brain or our DNA. Um, and that we're just not very good at reading it. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. the, yeah. the, the like, like, it's sort of like getting a text message, but not understanding the English or not even knowing what a text message is. Yeah. And, I, and it has okay. crossed my mind that some people are better at reading that message and others well, are like not anything else some people are going to be better at you know whether it's music creation or art creation or whatever i mean that's just just the way it is they can all be introduced you can introduce it to 50 people and maybe it takes with 10 and five are kind of on the on the fence with it and the other you know 35 just won't get it at that time now i, I have heard you say that 
you prefer to teach remote viewing that you yourself have not always been uh, very successful. Like sometimes it's iffy for you for experiencing it. But I imagine as a teacher, you've met some gifted people who have more of that, more of that skill. Is that right? I think a lot of people that remote view that are very successful, you're just not going to hear about their unsuccessful attempts. I'm willing to tell you that I'm not successful all the time, but I have had many successes as well. Right. So, um, you know, I've come, I've worked with a lot of them. I've come across a lot. Some people are more gifted than others. Some people definitely want to put more time mm-hmm. into it than others. Some people will give up quickly if they don't get results because they're so, you know, fearful of failure or ego-driven type of thing. It depends on why they're doing it. I just think it's more of a, an exercise to develop your innate abilities and remote viewing is itself and doing the targets is really the, the, the game, the play while you develop your extrasensory perception ability. It's kind of like exercise. Not everybody's going to develop, you know, a sculpted physique, but -hmm. everybody can develop better cardiovascular, heart strength. Everybody can develop better coordination, balance, um, all those types of things that go with an an exercise program as long as it's not overdone. Right. I also wanted to comment a little on CE5, which, you know, you've probably heard about with uh, Stephen Greer and they have different names for it now and different organizations related to it, but it seems to kind of be um, a similar concept where uh, basically you're emitting something out to communicate or convey like a beacon that you want attention, right? From um, essentially they're saying from extraterrestrials. I, I hate to limit like that. Let's just say non-human intelligence, right? That's why I called it not of this earth intelligence. And that's this earth. It could be past or future. Right. So they're attempting to communicate. Um, so I guess I, my, my thought and complaint about that is that when people talk about CE5, they always talk about intention and you mentioned you use a white light to protect from negativity but i can say from my experience that i have gone into a meditation full of spit and vinegar and had no problem <laughs> like i feel like i want to let people know that it's not always about being calm you know it's you can still have this interaction with whatever this is um and it and it, it still conveys information and i agree it's like remote viewing and there are some people who liked not many but would listen to rock and roll before they would remote view and it was the best way they got the results most people have to quiet their mind though but you're correct i mean what works for one doesn't necessarily work for another but i've seen that with nutrition i've seen that with exercise i've seen that all over it's actually, I think, again, about the individual. I think it's the same with um, ESP, uh, other extrasensory perception um, things. Like some people can hear things better than others. Some people predict things better than others. You know, some things are clear um, voyant, some are clear sentient, you know, so on and so forth. It's clear audience. You know, it's it's varies from person to person. So that was my point. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I um wanted to get to some of these other questions because I'm looking at the time and I'm like, oh no, it's we're getting in, along in the time. But absolutely, it's your call. Right. There's just so much to talk about. Um, 
one question that I have to ask. I just watched last night Men Who Stare at Goats. Have you seen this movie? Yes. Okay. So obviously it's completely inaccurate when it comes to the SRI program. Um, but it does touch on psychotronic weapons. Um, and I imagine at some point in time, you've probably heard someone talk about psychotronics. Is that correct? I've heard about it, but I, I, I mean, I think it's, you know, each person's intention with what they want to do or what they want to uh, explore with it. Mine was more for just the evolution of consciousness and awareness, actually. But what initiated it was the idea of learning more about what we call not of the Earth intelligences, which, you know, I was looking at the UFO genre then. Right. Okay. So in, in the movie, for those who haven't seen it, um, they basically butcher what happened with the original SRI program. They cre created a totally incorrect demonstration of what was done. Um, they, for instance, said it started with the army, which is not accurate because we know it started with scientists and then eventually the army came on board. Um, but another thing is that they focused on taking this from remote viewing to um, basically trying to kill things with their mind. Right. Um, so I hadn't heard about remote viewers being asked to do anything like that i feel like it's not the same however i guess i just thought i'd mention it because it is a concern to people um we knew that russia was working on this china had some people working on this um and even in the movie they said you know we have to do it now because they think we're doing it and we weren't right. so now we have to and it goes back and forth so you know it's just it it is a an issue i will chime in also that if you if you are of the belief that all of this has to do with um, basically electromagnetics, and then you find out we really do have um, a weapon, it is a real weapon that we use that has to do with electromagnetics that causes people to be sick. You know, you yeah. have to wonder if they just jumped the gun. They were inspired by the idea of us being able to use psychic abilities or whatever and decided we don't need to do that we'll just create this weapon right well it wouldn't surprise me i don't think it's part of any of the main areas like at stanford or um the areas that really studied this out of fort maryland i think there maybe was maybe rogue groups like with any technology that they get out there and put some money into it, find some backers, and they'll try to, you know, produce something like that. I don't think it was part of any mainstream areas. Um, you know, you've seen the, the, the real X-Files probably on the, you know, the initial remote viewing release. Uh, Russell Card, he talks about it. Um, there's a link from my website there with how all of it got started. I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't think that had a real depth in a lot of, um, time and effort put into it because I think they were just trying to develop the ability to remote view at Stanford. You know, they didn't all of a sudden make weapons. I mean, they didn't even know if it worked. I mean, they had to go through many years and different processes and different people to get it to work fairly well just to remote view. Maybe afterwards or somewhat a little bit later simultaneously, other rogue groups were getting involved with it. I, I wouldn't put it past that type of idea, but 
I'm not versed in it. Um, I really don't feel I want to be versed in it. I just am here more to develop in my own state of being in this third dimension, awareness, and understand that. And if people want to look at remote viewing, um, to use it as a tool that can help them become more proficient in their life with innate abilities and six senses, gut feelings, noticing more synchronicity, and just that type of thing. So I think what I'm going to do in the, in the last few minutes that we have is get to some of the questions that were messaged to me. Sure. Um, so one of the questions was, um, if you can say something about something called analytical overlay. I've heard of it. I, I can't, I'm not versed enough on it to talk about it. And what I talk about um, with it might not even be corresponding to what the answer they're looking for. So, uh, so I don't know. I would say no. Man. I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what that is, to be honest. So I, I probably should research that. I'll add that to my list. Um, the next one is, um, how do you stop a mind from trying to manufacture ideas that they favor? I wish I had an example for that. The manufacturer ideas that they favor. I would say not to think about it. And, you know, it's going to be a psychological thing. Just put a block around it. Just sit there and put whatever it is that you think you're trying to produce and put it in a box and put white light around it. And it's just going to stay there until it dissipates. And it will dissipate. You have to believe you can do it. You need to attempt to do it. And, you know, the action will follow the thought. It's, it's been done before, and that's the way I would look at something like that. There's got to be an essence that this person believes in, that they're listening, that they are part of, and put some of that essence, make a box out of it, and put that thought in it, and just keep it there. And always surround yourself with the correct energy. Remember. Okay. The next one is... Can you give some examples of what the protocols and phases of remote viewing are? Actually, that's up on my website. You can go to the intro video. It's a seven-minute long video. It goes over um, sketching ideograms, which is the first part of learning remote viewing. That's in phase one. And then you've got your probing of the ideogram after that to come up with descriptors. And then you've got your five, uh, your, your sensory perceptors after that, which is phase two, sketching is phase three, the sketch of what your target is. You go deeper into phase four, you've got a matrix where you go across from left to right, different things from senses and magnitudes to how you feel, the physicals, the subspace aspects, to, to concepts, etc. And then the last phase is where you either just sketch it out or make a relation part of it work or uh, a map. You know, the first three phases of remote viewing, you actually find out what the target is. And as you go into phase four and phase five, you find out more about the whys, the wheres, the whens, and go into a little bit more deeper detail of what it is as well. Um, the this next is scientific remote viewing. Okay, well, the next question is, what is the science behind remote viewing? Which it seems pretty broad, but... It, I think we've addressed a little bit that there might be something physical, um, but I, I don't know how else to address you know, the that. The science behind it is the, the protocols and phases that you do with scientific remote viewing is they keep the conscious mind occupied. 
Um, that's the main reason why they're there. While information comes through and to the subconscious mind, to the pen and onto the paper. It's a process. Um, there's, a, there's ways to, they're called deductions, to take out anything that you're guessing, that you're uh, trying to put a label to. Because the conscious mind, the ego, is always filtering every bit of data. It's just, you, know, you just have to quiet your mind. And it's been set up through Stanford Research Institute. And there are many aspects and different types of remote viewing. Scientific remote viewing is just one of them. There's controlled remote viewing. There's, you know, um, all kinds of different types of things. And they're all based, okay, on the original program that came out of Stanford Research Institute back in the 70s. Um, some people are more successful in some parts of it and then and in other areas, so they emphasize that more, like the people that came out of the military that began bringing it to the public. Um, you know, Ingo Swan, he worked with the group of Targ and um, Putoff and Targ, etc. Initially, and then they taught the military, and then the military brought it out to the civilians. So, there I is have science behind it, and I have seen um, quite a few people who were a part of the initial program coming out to educate people yes. on the topic. Uh, Russell Targ, I believe, is still actively doing so. Yes. If, yeah. So, yeah, it's it's pretty pervasive. He's a great ambassador for it. Yeah, I think it, it makes uh, some people a little unsettled thinking about that many people being able to do this. But I think one message I've often heard is that everyone can do this. Yeah, I think eventually, I mean, that is, we proceed further and, and hopefully we become what's called a type two civilization. Part of that process, and this is scary to some people, but it's, it's an evolutionary process, is the ability to communicate, I guess you could call it telepathically, but it's more like feelings, um, visuals, ideas that you sense, that type of thing, and to eliminate the idea to lie to one another, or at least to make, make it such a common practice, I think that will elevate our society in the future, and I'm talking about future, future here, um, to where, you know, that's part of how and why things are done today. I mean, it's unfortunately it's part of business, it's part of relations, etc., but it leads to a lot of negative it leads to downfalls you're not sure what you're dealing with but with said i think we still objectively speaking have to grow consciously even before we get to that part and once we grow consciously and realize hopefully we're all in this together we'll start being able to open up and the training will be there just like we're training people to use five senses this will be training people to use a sixth sense and as it's in an eight it's inevitable that we get there we probably already were there in the past maybe one two maybe many more civilizations of our past i believe right. in that big time yeah i was looking at some of the ancient civilizations and how far they were along right and and then for whatever reason several of them just disappeared um, and of course, there's a lot of speculation as to why, like perhaps they um, all migrated or, you know, but they would just leave things behind right. untouched and they don't know where they went, you know, right. so, so I have a part of my webpage relate, related to that and I'll be adding more civilizations I learned about. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> and I think it goes on on many planets. I mean, I've always said Earth is a speck of sand on an endless beach, and there's probably, just by sheer numbers, so many planets with evolving. And 
civilizations that were in their past and future. And I always say this about time travel. I mean, even though I think it's a shift in consciousness as we evolve and become more aware, there's still a technological, a portal aspect, etc. Whether we learned it a thousand or a million years ago, or whether we learn it a thousand or a million years from now, or if it's going on now, if it's ever learned ever, it's going on right now anyways. Ponder that one. So um, one thing that I have considered is that every answer that people come to may be correct. One of them being the idea of a collective consciousness, like Jung mentioned. Yes. The idea, yeah, and it basically, it, I see it as like the internet of consciousness, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, so there's like little nudes everywhere um, and everything just kind of buzzes around in a big, let's call it a web, like yeah. just like the internet, right? Of consciousness and everything kind of bounces back and forth through that web and runs into a, each I other right. and yeah. it all goes back to a source that's yeah. that's how yeah. i see well, it that's the source playing itself out in my humble opinion look at twins i mean there's that book by guy lynn playfair you know twin telepathy there's been studies with twins something would happen to one of them and they'd be many miles away and they would know instantaneously that something occurred usually it's a strong emotional thing but these instances have been recorded right. Right. And another one that I think could be correct is the simulation theory, but I think it's more like we're biological avatars and our consciousness is our real selves. Yes. And it comes in and out, just like when yeah. you switch a character in a video game. Yeah. You know, once one character is done and you're done with that game, you go oh, yeah. out. Yeah, absolutely. It's an energy. That's why I said our progenitors might be beings from higher realms and frequencies. And maybe star travelers, etc., and that the essence of us, you know, is part of the source, but the biological aspect is, you know, inter-exchangeable. It's kind of like we might, our essence might be thumb drives to, to really advance beings, where you could just take our soul essence and put it into another container, if you want to call it that, or into another hard drive. And then all of a sudden you've got past, you know, it's reincarnation thoughts of things that you might have had in a previous life. Even though I do think it's all going on ultimately simultaneously, that that energy is always a part of a source that's always has been, is, and will be. It takes our mind. We can't comprehend it, in my opinion. We always got to say something's got to start here and end there. That's because we think linear, but I don't think in the end it's a linear aspect of source. It's just, it just is. Right. So, again, I think there's so many things that could be accurate. I have yet to find one hypothesis that I absolutely disagree with, hmm. you know, believe it or not. There's some I believe less, but, you know, like so far, I have had to stay open minded because it's you oh. can't. We don't know. We yeah, can't rule you're not open minded out. doing what you're doing. You're not going to be doing what you're doing too much longer. But I have a sneaking suspicion you're very open minded and you put a lot of information out there, which again, I commend your site is got incredible oh, amounts of stuff. But yeah, I mean, your approach is, is, is very well I and mean, it's, it's good. It's open minded right. and yet you're not falling in there and believing everything. Well, that's that's part of it. I think uh, I don't get stuck in the rabbit holes too long. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. get, for instance, I, I did some work on metamaterials and I'm like, okay, I'm moving on to something else now. Yeah. Like I, I did it for like a solid couple days and then I'm like, well, I'm moving on. But right. yeah, you know, technologies can be mind boggling. I, you know, again, that's yeah. why I get back to the philosophical aspect of it. It's right. all fine and dandy, but essence is what you know, you're part of. And, you know, 
That's just part of the, the process and the technologies that go on with any advancing civilization. So, right. yeah, you got to be, um, you know, the rabbit hole. Um, if, you, if you think about it, go into it too much or get into it so deep and you're going to be paranoid and all those other things. And, you know, there's obviously that part of it as well. But in the end, it's what you want to get out of it. I mean, it's, you know, well, it's, people have said things like, oh, people are listening to you from the government and things like that. And I'm like, well, good, because they're human, too. And they right. need to learn, yeah, you know, like they, exactly. or yeah. they probably have some of the same thoughts that we're having. So, Absolutely. you know, like, Absolutely. so I'm, I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about some of the things other people worry about. And everyone's always saying, oh, so and so is a psyop and so and so is this. And I'm just yeah, like, there's different jobs and you got to have the yin and yang for anything to be anything. Right. You got to have oh. all these rainbow effects. And, and I'm yeah, not I saying good or bad. I'm just objective about it. They're doing their jobs and you're doing your job. And, um, you know, but everybody hopefully understands there's a much, much, much bigger picture. And even if there's conglomerates and corporations that are, you know, in the process of doing what they're doing, they're still part of a bigger picture, much, much bigger picture. Right. And one day I think um, we'll all understand that picture a little better. I think right. possibly, exactly. possibly sooner rather than later is what a lot of experiencers are sensing. Yeah. Um, yep. Or the cycle will start again. Right. I've heard that term before from some people. It's interesting how often people are saying the same things. It's, right. And apparently the Mayans believed strongly in the cycle of right. time. And right. I, I think it's all cyclical. All energy is cyclical. I mean, everything is cyclical that we do here. We have seasons to grow things. We have students that need off-seasons. We have athletes that need off-seasons. From work, you need vacations. From studying, you need breaks. Everything is really cyclical when it comes to energy. Two steps forward, one step back. Think of that infinity loop. Right. And and frankly, I would like humans to have a positive reset when it comes to the path we're going on now. I'm not entirely pleased. I don't want us to have another catastrophe. Absolutely do not. I think we need to go into a positive uh, direction personally, but we shall see. Absolutely. So um, I have one final question. Well, actually, technically two, but the, the last one will you know, be the one that makes a lot of sense for everybody is going to be where everyone can find you. But before we get to that one, <laughs> this is the question I have. And it's, sure. um, have you ever remote viewed non-human intelligence? Um, yes, I believe I have. It was a project. I have it up at my website. I think it was called Project, it's called Project Redgate. And, you know, this was a direct, again, um, you know, structured situation where organized by remote viewing people and several remote viewers were part of it. It was about the late 1950s and early 1960s potential UFO sightings, abductions, um, contact situations, and it was in uh, Montana, um, in a small town, uh, Montana, Deer Lodge, Montana. And I write about it in my book. I don't have the Mars pro project in my book, but I do have the Deer Lodge um, project in my book. And yes, um, you know, one time I sketched out um, what was a being uh, and, and it was next to uh, a circular object that had 
you know, you know, lines in it, and I described it consciously as a pizza, and it was an Oriental delivery man uh, or kid, a kid actually delivering a pizza. But in reality, it was a it was a contact of uh, a UFO. Uh, someone brought aboard a UFO with a, a you know quote unquote the old gray uh, alien. So. So is that what that looked like? It looked like a gray. Yeah. Um, okay. But I didn't know. You know, again, blind to the target, double blind. Even the uh, monitors that we had for that particular project didn't even know what the the, uh, the targets were. Okay. So, okay. Um, yeah. It's funny. So it, to clarify um, for you, the sense of it was it was as if they were delivering pizza. Yeah, my conscious mind was filtering it as somebody just delivering to a house a meal, a pizza meal. That's what I guessed out of it. Because now, I didn't know what other people were getting. I didn't see anybody else's sessions, you know, for that particular target. And, the, and you know, the conscious mind has to make some kind of sense out of it. It will every single time. It will try to put something in its own understanding, and you have to write that down. So. It's really it's interesting though, because so many people talk about what these entities may be doing when they're abducting people, and oh. a lot of people go to where they're a resource that they're interested in. Yeah, I mean, it could be a genetic resource. It could be a lot of things. Uh, you know, if you're asking me what was the personality like, of, it was just bland. I mean, just like a job and just doing it type of thing. Right. You know, it's just, yeah. just doing it. You don't hear a lot about people who work with cattle feeling uh, terribly emotional each time that they do something to cattle, you know, because I right. think... The, there has to be a detachment. So that's a whole nother conversation for another it time. Yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you if you could answer the last question. Sure. Let people know if they can, where is it that they can find you? Right. And I appreciate that, Deb. Again, thank you for having me on your show. Uh, I have a great respect for everything you're doing here. Um, for me, if somebody is interested in learning a little bit more about me or actually learning or doing a course in scientific, basic scientific remote viewing, I would love to help you out. Um, I think I can help you become um, somewhat successful at this, but also open up some innate abilities that you have that hopefully you can use you know, for your day-to-day -day life. Um, my website is learnremoteviewing.net, just learnremoteviewing.net. And there you can find more information. My book is also there as well. I think it's a really good book that beginners that can look at it and understand the idea of not of this earth intelligence from a variety of different angles, meaning from remote viewing, from the out-of-body experience, the Hollywood stories, all the contactees and abductees I talked to, the many scientists I talked to, many interviews are in there, military people. Um, you know, science, astronomy, the macrocosm, the microcosm, all those things, you know, are covered on a surface level. Um, none of it is too, too deep, although, uh, and there's also the Hollywood aspect, you know, short, short stories of some of the more, um, you know, um, interesting messages that might be uh, trying to be gotten across by various people and producers, etc. So it's all in there from a variety of different angles. It's not the type of book you got to read from the first page to the last page. You can skip pages. You can skip chapters and go back and forth if you have something and everything from you know unidentified submerged objects was a great um, you know influencer of me. I felt 
definitely there was something going on in the air. But when I learned more about the oceans and things like that, it took me out of that religious idea because a lot of that is, oh, they're demonic and they're this and they're that. And what are they doing in our oceans and places in our oceans? I mean, what the heck with demons they have any interest in that? So you got to get kind of logical with this type of stuff, too. It doesn't mean there's not negative and positive entities out there, but I don't want to put it in a mythological standpoint, you know. Um, but, you know, it's there. And it doesn't mean there's not negative, and it doesn't mean there's good and positive out there. It's just putting it more in a pretense to where a person can look at it without a lot of judgment and get, get information. Right. It's worth noting that we um, talk about good and bad quite often as humans, but when we look at other species, for instance, the eagle that goes to eat a mouse or yeah. a lion that kills a cub because it, they are trying to take over the pride, they yeah. don't think of themselves as evil. <laughs> you yeah. Know? yeah, you're right about that. I mean, there's a lot to the human psyche that probably creates some, you know, some lateral collateral damage in the process of this whole thing going on. I mean, I don't know. It's you know, the old divide and conquer adage, and that part of that good and evil is part of it. But I know it's there, but I still think innately we're all part of a source that's playing itself out. And if you don't have the tool of what we call negative, we wouldn't even know what positive was. Right. Well, thank you again for coming today to talk to me. I hope everyone goes to your webpage um, and they take advantage of all the information you've put out there. Um, and uh, again, and thank you so questions much. Too. I have a contact page Great. as well. If you have some questions, any questions about remote viewing, if you want, you know, just if you're hesitant and you have questions about perhaps why you've always maybe thought about doing it, some of your listeners, just ask me the questions and I'll try to be as honest and forward as possible with it. And we'll take it from there. Okay. Well, thank you again. And I hope that you're going to have a wonderful night. Thank and, you. and for everyone who's been listening, this is Deb's Data Dojo, part of the Calling All Beings Podcast Network. Um, I can be found on LinkedIn. Um, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, reach out if you want to talk. Take care, everybody.